You are Locked On Mavericks, your daily Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome into Locked On Mavericks for Tuesday, September 27th. We are a part of the larger Locked On podcast network. Uh, if you have a, a favorite NFL team, a favorite, uh, I guess you wouldn't have a favorite golfer, but if you just like golf, there's a golf show on here. If you like fantasy sports, there's a fantasy basketball show on here. Fantasy football show as well. So go check those out. Subscribe to those as well. Uh, as well as us, please uh, hit that subscribe button for us. We'd really appreciate it. Rate us. Give us some uh, reviews. Uh, as we move forward with this thing, great response after the first two weeks. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, I'm Mike Marshall, uh, at Machine Sports on Twitter. On the other end of this phone line is Jacob Kemp, at not Jack Kemp on Twitter. How are you doing, Jacob? I'm doing well. The Mavericks are real. They're actually, they exist. <laughs> they have corporeal existences, and you got to go see them. Yeah, I got to see human beings walk around and be annoyed by media for two to three hours at a time. It was it was spectacular. The wow. uh, the Mavs media, they ain't changed. <laughs> it's uh, some somehow Sefco is still employed. Somehow Dwayne Dwayne Price is still employed. <laughs> Yikes! He's coming out hot. Uh, yeah, not not plenty punches. Preseason. Early. Yeah, preseason heat for you. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening to Locked On Mavericks. Uh, it's your team, and it's every day. It's little tiny snippets for you that you can uh, easily listen to on your way to work or wherever you're going. Um, but, yeah, yesterday was media day down at the AAC, and I went down there and spent nearly, no, more than three hours hanging out, uh, trying to talk to people, getting some podium sound, um, trying to stop people in hallways, which is very difficult. Um, but uh, practice starts today, and that's a little bit easier to corner people after practice, so we'll see what we can get done today. we got a lot of good audio for you. And we're going to chop up some of that. We've got uh, the new guys, Barnes, Bogutz, of course, got Rick Carlisle, and uh, the faces of the team from last year, and the face of the Mavericks in general, Dirk, uh, and then uh, Wesley Matthews did some podium time. So we'll break down some of their uh, audio, because this is like the first time in the season, and maybe the first time all season, you can make them sit down and talk to you for 13-plus minutes at a time. It's uh, it's pretty rare. Like in a post game, a post game is usually I don't know, three to four minutes, and there are twenty five cameras, and uh, the guy from the Mavs website is front and center, despite the fact that he didn't get in the uh, get in the group until the last second. Oh my God! <laughs> I didn't think there was anything left in that clip, but <laughs> Alas. not gonna not gonna drop his name, but uh, he's he's ruined a lot of shots. Um, so you don't get a chance to just throw whatever you want at them for, you know, they have to stand there for 15 total minutes and let you lob grenades. Uh, so it's a little bit of a unique experience. And so I wanted to bring you some of that and make you feel like you were there. And we're going to start with one of the new guys today. One of the guys that we're very excited about, uh, Andrew Bogut, uh, former Golden State Warrior, who came here via a second round draft pick is all it cost to get him here. Um, one thing he didn't didn't talk about, and one thing uh, he wasn't really asked about because it's you know 
it wouldn't have been a uh, a great answer probably on his part. But Carlisle and Dirk talked at length about uh, his passing, and I was like, "Huh, am I missing something here? Like, is uh, is there some secret, um, you know, Joe Kim Noah skill that Bogut has?" So I went and looked up the uh, the assist numbers, and he had a uh, 14.8. Uh, assist percentage. So that's the percentage of teammate field goals a player assisted while he was on the floor. So almost 15. And so then you start trying to make sense of what does that mean uh, in relation to other players. Um, And I went and looked at Chandler Parsons last year. Chandler Parsons had a 16% assist percentage. So Bogut basically drops the same amount of dimes as Parsons does. Uh, It's just Parsons played a lot more minutes. Um, <clears throat> which I thought was kind of interesting. What do we know about Zaza? I feel like Zaza is a pretty solid passer. He was all right. Yeah, let me pull him up, and we can look at his uh, his assist numbers. I don't think they're going to be 14 high. They, I, bet, I think he was like 12 last year. Let me last year he go. was at uh, 9.7, but the two, years oh, wow. before, the two years before that he was up over 16. So he forgot how to pass when he came to Dallas. That's encouraging. Yeah, although that was a little bit higher than maybe nine point seven is still a little bit higher than his career average. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, maybe it was just more a matter of he didn't have the ball. I mean, some of that comes down to having the ball in your hands too, and the type of offense you're running. But yeah, I, th- I think if Bogut is a pretty solid passer and screener, so th- uh, that's not too much of a surprise to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's get into some of his audio. Um, of course, uh, there were some awful questions, and there were some. Uh, Everybody got hit with the uh, national anthem protest, and I was really uncomfortable with that. But I think Bogut honestly had the best answer about it. Um, so we'll get to that here in a minute. But just watching people, like, try and dance around the issues as people just kept hitting them with uh, national anthem protest questions in sequence, I was like, y'all cut it out. Like, you're just trying to catch somebody slipping so you can write a, uh, you know, have a headline on your article or something like that. That but is all it is. That's simply it. And being in that room for like an hour and a half while they run in players and stuff, you realize, like, I know what Jonathan uh, Chark's next article is just because he asked the same question to everyone. Sure. <laughs> and uh, same thing with Cato and a couple other dudes. But so for the media, it was really – it's really boring to be in there. But, but for the players, it's like, okay, how do you volley these uh, these grenades? But the first one that we'll talk about with Bogut is uh, basically just what can you bring to the team? And then, um, you know, how was the Olympic experience? Because they had a really – they kind of overachieved uh, the Australian team, and he played excellent early on. So let's hear him answer, uh, you know, what are you going to bring to this team and uh, explain kind of the timetable of him competing in the Olympics. What do you think you can bring to this franchise that uh, maybe they haven't had? Um, I think just, just bringing a pain presence defensively for us um, – Will be will be key for us, um, you know. Um, just making sure that when guys come in that paint, especially early in games, I'm either contesting the shot, I'm blocking the shot, I'm taking a charge, or I'm, I'm fouling somebody. Um, you know, I think the tone that I've, I've set on, on previous teams, especially early in games, is exactly that. I think if teams get in the paint early, feel good about themselves, it ends up being a long night. So that's something I look to do and offensive. And um, take a bit more responsibility than I had in, in Golden State. Be be as a, uh, aggressive as I was in the Olympics for the national team, um, and just be you know that confident, aggressive guy that I know I can be offensively. How big was, was the Olympics to show that the knee injury from the finals? Yeah, it was 
it was great to play. You know, it's always good to play for your country. Um, but it was, it was, it was in doubt for a lot of the preparation. Um, you know, my timeline was six to eight weeks. Our first Olympic uh, game was about five and a half to six. Um, I made the call the day before the first game where I felt good enough to go. Um, you know, it was tough in a way. Not a whole lot of conditioning or a whole lot of training. I could have really prepared myself to get into the Olympics, um, but ended up getting there and. I was happy to be there, you know. Um, you know, I probably peaked a little early, <laughs> played really well early, and fell off a little bit towards the end. But it was a good experience, um, disappointing one for us. Um, obviously, hurt. Still talking about it today. The last two games for us didn't finish the way we wanted to finish, and that sport, um, you know, something we're going to work towards for the next Olympics. All right. So there's our new friend Andrew Bogut answering. Um, you know, what can you bring? Uh, how would how the Olympics treat you? What did you think was the uh, the most interesting thing out of that audio, Jake? Well, okay, so he played. He played twenty point seven minutes a game last year. Um, but if you go to, if you check out your Sport View tracking, they now track um, defensive impact at the rim. Mm -hmm. This is uh, well, actually, they track a number of different things. But if you're just looking for field goals defended at the rim, the percentage of uh, field goal percentage at the opponent of the opponent while the player is defending the rim, and you set it to eighteen minutes or more played, which is pretty much just a rotation player. Although that may be a little bit high because that's probably going to exclude your Brandon Wright type bigs and probably even Salah. But 18 minutes feels like a good number where you're talking about guys who are close to being starters. Uh, Rudy Gobert was number one in the NBA last year at 41%. Zaza Pachulia was 33rd in the NBA at 52.2%. Mm -hmm. Number two in the NBA at field goals defended at the rim at 45% was Andrew Bogut. He yes. was basically tied with Bismack Biombo. Marcus All and Ed Davis, who are guys that I think of as legitimate rim protectors. Yeah. There's a couple other guys in that top ten that don't really make sense. Well, there's actually only one, which is Powell. But DeAndre Jordan, Hassan Whiteside, both the low pie, those dudes are legitimate rim protectors, and Bogut is ahead of all of them. And, again, it doesn't sound like a huge difference, you know, 7 to 8% between Zaza and Bogut as far as field goals defended at the rim. I would say that actually is a pretty huge difference. And uh, – it's just a matter of how many minutes he's able to play, which we'll get to in a minute. But if he's if, if he can maintain something around that level and go from 21 minutes to 25 minutes, then I think that there's no reason that they can't be one of the best five paint-protecting teams in the NBA, uh, especially given what they have, you know, stoppers out on the wing. So first thing, uh, that's legitimate. That There's numbers that back it up now. It's not just your eye test. The second thing, he came out pretty hot in the Olympics and cooled off a little bit towards the end, which if you are worried about his ability to sustain, you know, several games in a few days, you know, maybe that's a little bit concerning. But, I mean, against elite-level competition, he was giving you uh, 15 and 10, uh, and actually a little bit more than that in a couple of these games. He ended up averaging uh, nine points, five boards in about 21 minutes per game, but he also only played – um, 14 minutes in their last game against Spain. So I think if I had to choose between a guy who's coming off of a finals where he didn't really look like he could stay on the floor because he was breaking down, if I could choose between that guy taking the entire summer off and that guy doing a little something maybe to prove to me that he was able to bounce back just a couple weeks later, I think I'll take the Olympic experience over a full summer of rest because it's still quite a bit of rest. And he only played in seven Olympic games and as I said it was only 21 minutes a game so to me 
those are both probably positive indicators of what you can expect here in Dallas uh, as opposed to him just taking an entire summer off and then you just hoping that uh, he was going to be able to regain his form. Yeah, and for him, like, he's clearly super motivated to do that and to rehab. Um, a guy that's, you know, going to be 30, 32 uh, here soon who's probably played in three different Olympics, I wouldn't think that's the case. Like, I wouldn't think, like, okay – I get hurt. The doctor says it's six weeks away, uh, six to eight weeks for me being able to play basketball. The Olympics start in five and a half weeks. I don't know if I rush back for that, <laughs> being being 32 years old, being moved to a new team. But he clearly, like, he took it very seriously. And one thing I noticed is, like, standing next to him and talking to him, he's he talks about, you know, dropping some weight over the last couple of years uh, in, the, in his minutes quote, which we'll get to in a second. But he looks, like, thin. Like, he looks like, like Dirk started getting um, yeah. the last couple of years. And one more thing on, on this exact comment. Um, he said he wants to be more offensive. He wants to be more confident on the offensive end, um, have a little bit of bigger role. And I don't think that's insane. Um, I think if he can just, you know, run baselines and do little simple stuff uh, and be there, be a simple outlet when someone's, you know, driving down the lane and just have good hands, honestly – uh, I think he could easily top last year's numbers. And I do like his theory of <laughs> don't let people get in the paint early. If they stick their nose in there, like smush them because then they start getting confidence going uh, early in games. And he said, you know, that makes for a really long game. Um, let's talk about the uh, the minutes. Uh, someone hit him with the uh, the minutes question. Like, uh, you know, you're probably going to be playing 20. What, just look at what they did to Zaza last year. <laughs> they bro- They broke him in 50 games. By playing him a ton of minutes, are you ready to play some minutes? So let's just, let's listen to that. The Warriors only needed you to play so much, you know, 21 or 22 minutes last season. Um, there, there might be an expectation that you're, you're going to play a little bit more. How does that change things for you and for your games? You know, just your season overall, playing a little bit more. Just be ready to play more. Um, you know, we went small a lot in Golden State. Um, played spot minutes here and there, depending on matchups. But I know there's, there's a whole lot more minutes available here, obviously. Um, and look, I'm not one of those veterans that has to play 40 or gets offended by getting benched one game where someone else is rolling. Hey, if someone behind me gets in the game and has an impact, I'm the first guy cheering for him. And if we win the game at the end of the night, that's all that really matters. So um, I, I anticipate playing more minutes, but at the same time, you know, whatever's, whatever's going to help help the team go in the right direction. Is there a point where it's too many minutes? Is there a range where you look at this saying kind of this is ideal? Not really. Look, I feel like I'm in pretty good shape. Um, I dropped a bunch of weight the last couple of years. I haven't um, really had any crazy injuries the last two or three years since the ankle. So I've played, you know, 80, 80% of the games the last couple of years. So I don't really anticipate um, anything in that sense. Obviously, <laughs> you start playing 40, you know, mid, mid low 40s, you know, back-to-back nights and whatnot, then there's, you, you got to be careful with that and just manage it the right way. But... You know, I'm a professional off the court as, as much as I can be with, with um, recovery and stretching and ice baths and that kind of stuff, and I'll put in the extra time always to, to, to do that. And The injury stigma thing is just unfortunate impact injuries that I've always had. I've never had an injury from playing too many minutes. It's always been car accident-type impacts that, you know, um, I've walked under too many, too many ladders for, I guess. I don't know. All right, so it sounds like for him... Uh, to play more minutes, you just got to be ready to play more minutes. <laughs> Pretty simple. Um, the one interesting thing, I guess, is my injuries have never been because of too many minutes. They've yeah. always been because of like car crash, like uh, 
like accidents, <laughs> which I thought was that was interesting. Yeah, I mean that's the way he plays. You know, I mean some people might call it dirty. At times, it probably is dirty. Um, he's setting screens that are probably mostly illegal, and he knows it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go through his game log last year, it he still did reach back a couple times and hit some pretty high numbers. I mean, he got to 36 in December and uh, in April. Uh, he played over 30 minutes basically four more times, uh, 31 in April. So, you know, I mean, I think really, I mean, he ended up, he was inactive for seven or eight games, got a DNP and seven or eight others, probably more because they were resting him or they were running people, you know, there was a, not an injury, but a back-to-back. Uh, so, I mean, he but he actually did play in several back-to-backs last year, though. Um, so I'm not too worried about it. Uh, if anything, the difference for him, unlike with Barnes, Barnes, you're trying to see if he can take on a different role uh, than he had on his previous team in the same number of minutes. Bogut, you're just trying to see if he can maybe give you the same minutes, and if not, just a, maybe, you know, three to four minutes more um and if they got if they were to get into like a real series like a series against a team that had 12 different players that could get legitimate minutes there's a way to play Bogut off the floor but the Mavericks aren't going to be playing in the Western Conference Finals right you know I mean if they ended up there there's a way that you know obviously a team like Oklahoma City last year or Cleveland or I think probably uh teams this year I mean, I think if the Spurs start playing Aldridge at the five more, they can get Bogut off the floor. But I'm not really worried about how he matches up. That's like a much higher level concern for me right now. I'm more worried about can he stay out there and give him something. Yeah, I'm of the same the same opinion. And uh, for all that Golden State did this this offseason and adding Kevin Durant, and of course you have to make that move and uh, send Barnes away and send Bogan away to make it happen. I don't feel like Golden State addressed what got them beat last year, and that was because uh, after Bogut went out, dude, they couldn't grab one stinking rebound. Uh, that's what that's what ended up killing Golden State after they were up three one. Yeah, but if the ball's going in every time, on offense, on offensively, <laughs> right. they're not going to have to get any rebounds. Right. Now, if you're making fifty percent of your shots, then yeah. yeah, it's it's totally fine. But yeah, they didn't address like them having Zaza. I don't think they realize like what kind of a downgrade it's going to be from Bogut to Zaza. And I love that, like, these guys went to the, the opposite teams. So we get to see, you know, the perfect uh, Petri dish experiment is going to happen in front of us. Um, so someone asked him what he feels about, you know, Rick Carlisle and his short amount of time here. Um, so let's hear some of that. How do you compare, compare him to Carlisle? Because both of those were both players of the NBA and everything. So. I'll let you know. Ask me in about a month. I'll let you know. <laughs> um, look, I heard... A lot about Coach Carl. I've known a lot of guys that have played for him, and they say, you know, he's, t- he's tough, but he's fair. Um, the, the biggest thing I respect about him is the first time we spoke, um, he's straight to the point. He doesn't sugarcoat. He doesn't try to, you know, these days with all these kids and stuff at colleges, he's, he's, he's not worried about hurting your feelings. He's going to tell you what he thinks and what he thinks you need to do to get better, and you address it. And I, I more than respect that. I think in today's day and age, we're, we're kind of losing that. I'm out of society. So, yeah, he basically says the same thing that uh, almost everyone does whenever they first come to Dallas, which is, yeah, that guy gets straight to the point. Yeah. He, uh, he does not F around. But I think there's some automatic respect um, from Bogut uh, towards Carlisle because Bogut's kind of that same way, man. He's, 
He's not going to mince words. He's going to say stuff that, you know, um, might not be the, the correct response, but is the best way he can uh, get his feelings out. Uh, there were a couple answers in there, and a couple times I saw him, like, you know, just talking to random people where uh, he, got, he didn't get prickly, but he would just, like, say exactly what he was thinking and didn't really care if that answered your question. <laughs> and I, I, I like that he, uh, you know, he sees some virtue in Rick Carlisle for no, being a no BS kind of guy. He has a couple things. I think a lot of people, because the Mavericks continually haven't been able to sign, you know, an A-list free agent, that they – a lot of people will ask me, like, what's wrong? Is it Cuban? Is it Donnie? Is it Rick? I mean, I don't think it's any one thing, and I don't think there's necessarily a problem. I think it's more just they haven't ever been the best team that was trying to sign any of these guys. But uh, with regard to Carlisle, I've heard a bunch of dudes, and usually their B and C-level players say that the best years of their – uh, career, the best coaching they ever received was from Carlisle. And I know uh, Followell's told me that he's heard a, you know, a ton of players say that over the years. And I've heard a couple different players on like Zach Lowe's podcast specifically mention Carlisle as the guy that they felt got the most out of them. So I like that. And I also like that he wades into PC bro culture and uh, <laughs> goes after safe spaces on college campuses by saying that, you know, you know, he's not concerned with how these kids are being treated. College kids. Yeah, he's tough and straightforward. <laughs> I think we need a little bit more of that in our society. <laughs> he went there. He went there. He went there with it. Um, all right, let's roll through the, the rest of these so we can uh, make sure and get to them before we got to uh, go, 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 go about our days. Um, <laughs> someone asked him about, um, <clears throat> about uh, the Cowboys. And uh, he basically, or I think he ventured, he stepped his toe into it on his own. He was like, oh, I'm not really a football fan. Uh, let's just hear his uh, his thoughts on how American football is played. <laughs> All right, so uh, Mac Mahan hits him with the Daka Romo question. Mm. Uh, solid, solid overhand right. Yeah, uh, and he's he's like Romo's the hero. I don't I don't know how y'all feel. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I really like the end where he's explaining. Um, how the National Football League works, where he's like, if you need to throw it, throw it. If you need to kick it, kick it. That's right. Those are your only two <laughs> options, frankly. I mean, because my offense is predicated on two things. <laughs> Passes and quick kicks. I'm not kicking field goals. I'm not punting. But I may occasionally <laughs> drop punt it on third down just to keep you on your toes. So I, think, I don't think he's wholly aware of the concept of a rushing play, and I think it's better no. to keep it that way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he did better wanna- than any. Manny Pacquiao did a couple years ago in trying to explain the game. I'd like I'd like him to like watch a Cowboys game and be like, "Why is he handing it? Oh my God, that guy's running!" <laughs> Look um, at that. <laughs> yeah, I like I like to think if Bogut started a football team, like he would only draft quarterbacks that could also double his punters, yep. like high school style. I love it. <laughs> Rugby kicks. Um, and then we have the uh, the obligatory uh, question about uh, how do you feel about the protests? Um, and I thought Bogut honestly gave the best answer of anyone. And uh, I'll let you hear it right now. What's your opinion on the uh, national anthem protests and the, the issues related to that? Um, I think it's a country that prides itself on free speech. So if um, you know somebody, Kaepernick, and they want to want to do that, it's more than their their right. Um, on a personal level, for me, I know there's a lot of history here. Um, it goes, you know, centuries back, um, which I can't really relate to too much growing up in Australia. I mean, we have our own issues down there, but 
um, being around obviously a lot of African American teammates, I'm kind of being more and more educated upon it throughout my career. Um, but in the same sense, it's hard for me. You know, America has been a place that's um, let me live my dream and play, you know, um, NBA basketball at the highest level, make a boatload of money, um, doing something that I love doing. So, you know, I understand uh, from an African American point of view or a teammate's point of view if they didn't want to stand and, and be part of that, that kind of um, protest. Um, but at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm thankful um, America's provided a lot for, for myself and my family. So, you know, it's, it's a tough one for me. I'm very supportive of my teammates. But at the same time, I think, you know, the country, much like Australia, is, is built on free speech. So um, everyone has an opinion on, on, on different types of things um, and everyone has a right to do what they feel is right. Um, criticisms that go either way are a part of life, I think. The, the discussion's been open. You guys are talking about it. This is a, a basketball media day and we're talking about politics. So it's obviously the message has hit home. And I think that's what, what you want to accomplish with that kind of a protest. Um, Rather than having a protest that, that causes violence and people get hurt, that's the last thing you want to see. So I have no issue with it, um, what, what Colin's doing. And if he thinks that that's going to you know, obviously help the cause, go for it. So I thought that was kind of a different take. Um, being somebody that's from Australia, he basically says, America has given me so much. Um, they've given me a boatload of money just to play basketball. And, you know, I've grown up. Uh, since age 21, you know, he's been in the NBA and he basically says he's grown up, you know, having 80% of his team be African-American males. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of been a learning curve and he's, you know, closer to it than you might, might actually think. Um, and he basically says, you know, the fact that people are talking about it at a media day at an NBA media day means that it's working and it means that it's starting a conversation and that's good. Yeah, I mean, I, there's, I could, we could talk about this for hours and hours, but uh, the main points there are, yes, and when people say, what's the point of this? If it even makes people talk about it, I would say that it's achieved some level of goal. Two, there are countless, countless studies in, so, in the social sciences that show that the more you've been around a certain type of person, the more likely you are to, if not agree with them, at least have sympathy towards whatever their cause or their belief or their plight in life is. And the fact is that because of the way that where the way that uh, our cities are structured, most white and black people don't really live that close to each other. They may talk to right. each other at work, but at work you're not really at a typical type of workplace. So these things either don't come up or they don't come up uh, in a way that is, you know, all that constructive and long form. An NBA team spends a ton of time around each other. Mm-hmm. They they're able to see how various types of people treat, you know, themselves and other types of people. So to me, Bogut is merely a f- reflective of the fact that if you know someone and you spend a lot of time with them, you're more likely to understand where they're coming from. And I would say that for a lot of the dudes who have played with him, they probably understand that there's a ton of racism in Australia too, and most yeah. people in America don't know that because they don't know any Australian people. Um, yeah. If you're uh, someone who, you know, this happens time and time again off, across several different issues. Maybe you're very against the idea of, of uh, homosexuals getting married, and then you find out that your nephew or your son or your cousin or your daughter is gay, and then you have a different view on it. So right. I think he's merely just reflecting what is common among humanity. Uh, he's just able to do it in a little bit different manner because he is an outsider who is then 
thrust into a workplace where he's surrounded by uh, people who are trying to drive home a point about their place in our country. Yeah, every every person or subset of people are others until they're inside your circle. And then it's and then it's completely different. Like you have to spend time with these people. You have to understand um no I mean people are naturally going to be tribal and think that people I've never met or people I've never had a a, a long form conversation with um you know they can't possibly be good or the, you know they want to take my things or something like that. But it's everybody is an outsider until they're inside your circle and they're a part of your life. And I just, I thought he, the rest of the answers, we probably won't use the rest of everybody else's answers because they're kind of boring. Um, but I thought Bogut's was the most interesting. Yeah. So that's, that's why we used it. Um, and then the final one is, might be my favorite part of this. Um, when some dude, I don't know who it was, uh, but he basically just hits him with the, you know, I heard you chose Dallas. You had a choice to make whenever they, uh, the Warriors decided to trade you, and here's what Bogut had to say about it. Yeah, I did. Um, but like I said, Dallas, Dallas was obviously up there, but um, a couple other teams had called and, and had a deal on the table that Golden State were discussing, um, and basically said, if I go there, I'll be asking for a buyout. <laughs> 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 to put it frankly. Um, and Dallas was one that I wasn't going to ask for a buyout. So I think the Warriors kind of figured out that they probably should send me here. Why, why, why not Houston? I, mean, I didn't say Houston. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I reported the Houston. Oh, you did? Those, yes. Oh, that's so, interesting. So uh, why, not, why would you have not gone to Houston? Uh, I'm not sure what teams called. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I just remember it was Dallas. <laughs> but I'll answer your question in a different way. Um, I like Texas. I've always liked Texas. I like Dallas. Houston's in Texas. Um, <laughs> I like Dallas better. <laughs> but um, just the organization, I think, is uh, um, always, every time I hear about someone, you know, guys like Richard Jefferson, guys that I've played with, they speak so highly of the organization and the way it treats its players and how professional everyone is here. And um, they're a non- no-nonsense type of organization, but at the same time, they, they really go out of their way to help you. So um, that kind of was perfect for me. So, yeah, he doesn't run from it. He basically says, you know, I had a choice between a couple of teams. Uh, He doesn't say what teams. Um, And then uh, (laughs) Mac Mahan hits him with the, uh, so why not Houston? Just, uh, you know, I know what teams they were. Why didn't you choose Houston? And he was, (laughs) and Bogut just says, uh, man, it was a long time ago. I'm not sure what teams they were. (laughs) But he basically says if he would have went to Houston, he would have demanded a buyout. Yeah, and I, and I think that it gets back to what we were talking about with free agents a minute ago. Because they haven't been able to sign DeAndre Jordan, Hassan Whiteside, Dwight Howard in his prime, Darren Williams in his prime, people kind of get this idea that no one in the NBA wants to come here. Um, and, and I just I don't think that's true. I think it is true that they haven't been able to sign those top flight guys. But a lot of people forget that before Sean Marion got traded here, he was actually traded to the Raptors. And it was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to Toronto. Now, Toronto's a pretty sweet place from what I've heard. And it's not like he was traded to Milwaukee and didn't want to come and didn't, you know, chose Dallas. There have been a number of dudes, whether they be, uh, you know, second tier or third tier type players who have actually elected to come here mm-hmm. um, because I think they know it's a good place for them. Hell, Dallas was 
better than Houston was last year. I'm not saying they'll definitely be better than Houston is this year, but Houston's a team with a ton of big-name talent on it, uh, or at least you know over the years it has been. And Dallas is still the better option to a guy who's been in the league for you know 12 years, 13 years or whatever. I mean, I think it actually does kind of say something about the room, and that pretty much all starts with – well, I was going to say it starts with Dirk, but I do think the way that Cuban has been on the forefront of – uh, the health and mm-hmm. the biometrics uh, for pro athletes over the years is I do think that actually matters to some guys. It it may not matter to a 26 year old who is looking at Miami or Los Angeles or New York and you know potentially a better team. I'm not saying it matters to them. But some to some of these other guys that maybe in your second and third contract uh, or even third or fourth contract, I I do think it matters. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see. I mean, when something like this happens, you get a straight-up ranking um, of where these guys want to go. You realize the NBA hierarchy and the mind of, you know, a uh, 10-time vet- or 10-year veteran, um, one of the best defensive players in the league, Andrew Bogut. You get to see whether, you know, he wants to admit it or not, you get to see his ranking of teams and where he wants to play. And for once, um, not once, this has happened, you clearly pointed out it's happened before, but... Um, just word of mouth of talking to people. He mentioned Richard Jefferson. He said, you know, I talked to this guy, and he explained how great the Dallas organization was and how they, you know, truly just want to win, um, and they'll do everything to win. I mean, you think that's a simple thing to say, and uh, people take that for granted, that their team really wants to win and really wants to spend enough to win and put the time in to win. Dude, there's 10 franchises out there that really don't give a damn if they win a game this year. Um and Dallas is not – it's not the case. Like, they're going to win as many games as they can until Dirk retires, and they're going to let – you know, they're going to add veterans. They're going to make you succeed. Uh, they're going to get the most out of you. And I think for veteran dudes like that, I think it's really um, – it's really important and cool that they want to come here because of what we've built, what this thing is about, and that there is this um, – gossip this NBA gossip that happens and it you know got bogut here via via Richard Jefferson so anyway I thought that was interesting um I think that's all we got for today tomorrow we'll do uh Harrison Barnes and then we'll get to Carlisle and Wes and I'm trying to talk to uh Seth Curry today so we'll get to that later in the week but thank you for listening to uh Locked on Mavericks thank you Jake all right man appreciate you getting out there yeah have a good day man later later It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.